You may be seated. Back in my seminary days, I made a little extra money doing minor carpentry projects. I once, once moved a bunch of those little pins to adjust the height of bookshelves in a church office for somebody. And a visiting lecturer's wife hired me to install picture hooks in their house as she didn't trust her husband to execute much of anything that involved physical objects out in the three-dimensional world. As my expectations regarding the mechanical inclinations of seminary academics dropped, my part-time job security only grew. But I can't remember exactly what task had brought me to the home of the Reverend Russell Ayers one day. Ardell was doing some administrative work for a, on a mission project for him. Maybe she recommended my expertise when a light, for a light switch cover or a cabinet knob that needed to be reinstalled. What I do remember is Russell turning to me and suddenly tendering this advice. Lower your expectations, Scott. That's what I wish somebody told me when I became a priest. Just lower your expectations. It will make you so much happier down the road. You might know that Russell did not deliver the commencement address that year. <laughs> I actually have no memory of anything the retiring professor who spoke at graduation said, only that he rambled on so long that even my own father fell asleep. And Dad's a retired professor himself, so he knows how to brace himself for these gripping occasions. But now, 14 years later, Russell's three-word address is actually the one I've hung on to. Lower your expectations. So last Sunday's gospel ended with some of the strangest advice Jesus ever gave anyone. When you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done only what we ought to have done. Remember that tough little kernel of rabbinical wisdom? I was so confused by it, I emailed Amber as soon as I read it and said, never mind the Rhoda, you're preaching Sunday and booked myself a flight to San Diego. The healing of the ten lepers takes a little less work to make sense of, though, right? At least at first blush. But there is a slender thread that may actually connect these two scenes. And here's what I think it is. Lower your expectations, or there will be no room in your life for gratitude. Because gratitude lives in the gap created when the way things are exceeds the way we expected them to be, doesn't it? Lower your expectations. Gratitude might grow in the gap. For years, the story of the leper's healing really didn't mean much to me because I thought its lesson was so obvious. If, if someone does something nice to me, but if someone does something nice to you, especially if that someone is God, you should say thank you. It's impolite not to. It's your moral obligation, right? But real gratitude is not about fulfilling an obligation even to God. Gratitude lives in that gap that opens when the way things are in our lives exceeds the way we expected them to be and Jesus wants us to live in that gap. He wants us to live in the joyful knowledge that you don't actually deserve what's most essential to your life. Gratefulness is living in gift. Gratefulness is just what grace looks like in the instant we recognize it for what it is. Unfortunately, there's something in me that really doesn't want to owe anybody anything. Not even God. And so I keep filling up the gap where my gratitude is meant to live. 
Even saying thank you can be a way of discharging an obligation rather than living in the knowledge of grace, can't it? If I think expressing a proper thank you makes us even, I've just killed the gift, haven't I? I've erased the wonderful excess in my mind between what I have and what I deserve. And Jesus thinks this is a tragedy. Even if I'm a leper and just want to be welcomed back into the society that fears and excludes me as unclean. It's the leper who can't believe he could be so lucky as to be healed by this wandering rabbi and welcomed back into the city. He's the one who's come most fully alive. I think this is why Jesus holds him up for all of us to emulate. Not for his good manners, but for his uncontainable joy. Some of you know that the real reason Ardell and I boarded that plane last Saturday for San Diego was because our son was in a trauma unit in a hospital in Escondido. He'd been in a pretty bad car accident the day before. Alden was going to be okay. But he was plenty beat up, and seeing the pictures of that crumpled up Toyota was to have the bottom drop out of even that automatic expectation that your child's just going to go on living day after day after day. Gratitude for his life filled us right up, for sure. But there was another lesson in gratitude that was waiting for me in Escondido as well. The trauma surgeon rounded on Sunday morning, so I made sure to be in the room to meet him. He was the one functioning as the attending physician, the one we needed to make sense of what the neurosurgeon said about that small brain bleed and what the plastic surgeon said about the breathing problems that might result from a broken nose. Dr. Campbell swept into the room at about 8 a.m. in a white coat and blue snakeskin boots. I mention the boots not so you'll prejudge him, but to confess that I may have been doing so myself. Within the first few minutes of our meeting, he said he was ready to remove the chest tube that was helping Alden's collapsed lung reinflate and send him home a day early. That news might sound good to you, but to me it was abrupt and it wasn't at all clear he had consulted with the other surgeons. We were weighing options for at least one procedure and now we seem to have no time at all to process them. I asked for him to go away and return at the end of his rounds. And when he did, I let him have it. I was angry. He seemed to be uninformed about the plastic surgeon's recommendations, and he mumbled something about saving lives and not really having much time for such things. It sounded like he thought our son was considering a nose job for aesthetic reasons, not respiratory ones. He agreed to the discharge, on the, to have it wait till Monday, the original goal, and he left. Now, I would rather not admit to you the stereotypes about the arrogance of trauma surgeons that stoked my rage last Sunday, or the fact that this one's expensive boots were used as evidence against him in the little trial that I just called to order in my mind. But they seemed entirely justified to me, so I kept them alive all day and rehearsed them to anybody who would listen. Maybe you can recognize the particular satisfaction of being so clearly in the right and having someone near at hand so clearly in the wrong to prove your rightness. Well, the next morning I was about to board the elevator when Dr. Campbell stepped out of it. To my surprise, he not only recognized me, he said he'd been bothered by our exchange the day before. He'd even had trouble sleeping. He said he'd learned in the Navy to leave, lead with a left hook and that, that that instinct didn't always serve him well. Besides that, he said a few years back, a meaningful relationship with God had opened up 
this desire to change some old ways of being that tended to do so much damage to the people around him. He wanted to live a little more out of his experience of grace, is what he said. Out of the knowledge that his worth wasn't established by how much more he knew than the rest of us or what apparent miracles he could actually work, but, but by the fact that he was loved without qualification by a God who could forgive it all. Forgive not only his failings, but also the achievements he'd pinned his identity on for so long. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of someone who is actively trying to weigh the chain, change the way he responds to the world? It is the rarest of things. In a world that seems to run on outrage, I'd so much rather justify my anger, nurse it a little bit even, than learn another way to be. Even if the truth is that new way of being could set me joyfully free. Strange as it may sound to you, I think a surgeon in snakeskin boots may have been a grateful leopard sent by God to startle me awake to the gift of my life again. Because he wasn't satisfied to have his own ego and his own considerable skill fill up the space between the way things were and the way he thought they ought to be. He tasted the gratitude that comes from believing God's love still embraces the untouchables, which we can all be at our worst. And this Christian wasn't willing to settle for anything less than the life of grace anymore. Even if it meant asking forgiveness from one frightened, angry father right in the gleaming hospital where you really do raise the dead and work miraculous Jesus-like cures every single day. I don't know if you noticed it, but in the gospel story, all ten lepers were healed. But only one was made well. Get up and go on your way, Jesus said to the man who returned. Your faith has made you well. Jesus healed all of them without condition. Faith was what allowed the gift of healing to come alive in just one of them as gratitude. I want to be the leopard who turned back, don't you? Not because Jesus healed him as a reward for his amazing gratefulness. He'd already been healed for free but because the deepest human gratitude is what divine grace looks like when our expectations about all we think we deserve open up and a fresh knowledge of the gift of our belovedness comes rushing right in. 